Turn your Bible to Psalm 85 and Philippians chapter 2. Psalm 85 and Philippians chapter 2. Psalm 85 and Philippians chapter 2. The book of Psalms was the hymn book of the Old Testament. And this particular Psalm is about revival. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. He will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. And in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, what a wonderful truth that is as we think of the mighty revival God wants to send. And we opened the service this morning with that song by George Bernard, who lived from 1876 to 1985. He was deeply moved by a spirit of revival, which he experienced at one time in his life. He's also the author of The Old Rugged Cross. Here's what he wrote. Showers of blessings sent from above, seasons refreshing, gift of God's love. This is the promise if we obey, a mighty revival is coming this way. Windows of heaven he opened wide, pour out a blessing, this is his word. Even a blessing we can't contain, a mighty revival he'll send us again. Long have we waited for such a tide, for a revival deep and worldwide. Now it is coming, even while we pray, a mighty revival is coming this way. 
And Curtis told us it only comes as we trust and obey, for there's no other way. As we think about revival, we think of this question, what is revival? What's it all about? Well, William Sprague said this concerning revival. Whenever you see religion rising up from a state of comparative depression to a tone of increased vigor and strength, whenever you see the professing Christians becoming more faithful to their obligation, and behold the strength of the church increased by fresh accessions of piety from the world, this is revival. Charles Finney said, revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Just in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance for breaking the law and a deep humility in forsaking sin. And G.J. Morgan said, revival is reviving humanity, strictly speaking, to the saints of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to reanimate the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives. And Arthur Wallace, in the day of his word, said revival is divine intervention in the normal course of things. It is such a manifest working of human personalities that are all overshadowed and are abandoned in praise to the Lord. Stephen Alford, that great man of God who just went to heaven a few years ago, revival is that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, results reanimating and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing in the Holy Spirit. The word revival appears 16 times in the Old Testament and only twice in the New Testament. Why is this? Because the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost. It was God's plan that the church be in revival 365 days a year, all the time, never a dull time. Well, through the experience of the years, that didn't happen. And so God has from time to time sent certain earmarks of revival here, 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 somewhere else. He did that in Wales many years ago, and revival was so astounding that people came from all over the world to see what was going on in Wales. During that time, thousands and thousands of people joined the churches. Conversions were made. Liquor joints were closed. Spiritual morality became a norm in that land. A man came to see what it was all about. He came to the railroad station. He found a railroader there. He said, I've come to find out what revival is. What's going on in Wales? The man leaned his foot against the back of the station. He said, revival is right here. Point to himself, reminding us that revival can come to a nation, it can come to a church, it can come to a family, it can come to one individual. And when that one individual gets ablaze for God, it becomes contagious and spreads. And so my question today, is there anyone here who is willing to say, Lord, use me, awaken me? Leonard Ravenhill was a great evangelist and revivalist. He wrote many books. 
I want to read you a quote from some things he wrote. Men build our churches but do not enter them. They print our Bibles but do not read them. They talk about God but do not believe him. They speak of Christ but do not trust him for salvation. They sing our hymns and then forget them. How are we going to come out of all this? Almost every Bible conference majors on today's church being like the Ephesian church. We're told that despite our sin and carnality, we're seated with him. Is that a lie? We are Ephesians all right, but as the Ephesian church in the Revelation, we have lost our first love. We appease sin, but do not oppose it. To such a cold, carnal, critical, careless, and coward church, this lax, loose, lustful, licentious age will never capitulate. He wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. Here's what he said. Number one, revival tarries because of pride. Number two, revival tarries because we have cheapened the gospel. Our churches have sung hymns, played to dance, dance temples. The precious blood of Jesus is set to boogie-woogie. The Holy Spirit is syncopated. We display our gifts on the platform rather than singing a message, and people applaud them. The reason I've asked you not to applaud somebody that sings here is because they're singing a message. If all of a sudden in the middle of a sermon or in the middle of a song, something strikes your heart and you want to applaud, that's up to you. That's between you and God. But you don't get at the end of a song and clap for everybody and say, well, that was a good performance because they're not performing. They're singing a message. Many do not understand that. Thirdly, Revival tarries because of carelessness. We spend so little time with souls, pleading with them, praying with them, loving them, encouraging them. Revival tarries because of fear. We're afraid to speak out on the spurious religions of today. We're tolerant, tolerant. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not serve a moon god called Allah. He's not the same as Jehovah, the father and son of our, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah prayed when he prayed. Wesley saw the door to the English church closed to him and he went out in the fields to preach. George Whitfield was shamed and laughed at but he went on preaching. The New Testament Christians were stoned and suffered. Jerry Falwell, whom many of you knew about before he went to heaven, he was hated by many, even among Christians, because he took a stand for moral righteousness in a corrupt world. Where do you stand? Where do we stand? Lester Roloff, one of the greatest men of all time, he's preached at this pulpit, was put in jail in Texas because he said his home was run by his church and the state had no authority over it. They put him in jail. The land of the free, the home of the brave. 
Revival tarries because of the lack of urgency. Men are lost and are on the way to hell, and we sit and do nothing about it. Revival tarries because we steal the glory from God, and all the glory belongs to God. Who can experience revival? I want to suggest to you right in this room, there's some of you who are right now doing something else. You're writing or you're texting or you're doing something else when God wants to start in your heart a revival. One of the greatest revivals that ever occurred came about through a young man who heard God and he offered his life to the Lord. Well, what happens when revival comes? Well, first of all, this passage we read in Philippians, listen to this, Paul was talking to the Philippian Christians and he said, this is what you do when you get revived, when Christ is real in your life. As you have always believed and always obeyed, not in my own sense only, but now and much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you work to get saved. It means since you are saved, you work. We're saved to serve. We're saved to work. We do not work to get saved. Nobody ever gets saved by going to church. You might hear the message and get saved, but you're not going to get dibbies with God because you go to church. You don't get saved because you get baptized. As important as baptism is, it's an obedience to the command of our Lord. But being baptized, people go to hell. You don't get saved because you turn over a new leaf. You try to give up some old habits. All that trial is in vain until you trust Christ. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Revival starts inside. Not on the outside, but on the inside. Somebody hears the word, I want that, I believe that, that's me, I want that myself. And something happens inside, it works its way out. A person who has been profane, a drunkard, a blasphemer, may have some struggles overcoming those outward traits. But they will be overcome because it starts on the inside. If on the other hand, you start reforming from the outside, you can give up a whole bunch of things and still be lost. When you receive Christ, and he sets off a dynamo in your life, in your heart, and God changes you from the inside, then it begins to roll out into the lives of others. Then he says, do all things without murmuring and complaining and disputing. That you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul said, I'm writing to you as Philippian Christians so that when I stand before the Lord, I will know that I did not do this in vain. I don't know how you feel about it. Our lives are lived before others for a reason. Not that we might receive glory and honor, but that we might influence somebody else to come that way. When we get over in heaven, 
The crown's not going to be given because we lived a good life or went to church or read the Bible. The crowns will be given on the basis of who we brought to present to the Lord. Paul said in Thessalonians, you are my hope and joy, you're my crown of rejoicing. When I get before the Lord, here they are, Lord. These are people I influence toward Christ. And if each one of us would recognize that and would say, Lord, use me, use me, use me. Well, I want a revival inside of me. Then it would get out and people begin to come because of your reflection of heaven. The moon is dead unless the sun shines on it. The only light of the moon we ever see is the light of the sun shining on the moon and the moon reflecting it and casting its light upon us. So the sun of righteousness has risen. He shines his light upon you and me. And as that light begins to glow through us, others will see Jesus and they want him, they'll trust him. So Psalm 85, very briefly, says this concerning revival. Verse six, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? There'll be joy, wonderful joy. If you want joy, wonderful joy, wonderful joy, peace, let Jesus come into your heart. And when Christ takes over, let me encourage you, you three guys here at the front, look with your eyes up here. Don't look down. Get in the habit of looking, feasting, listening. If it's boring to you, just pray to me, Lord, help me not to be bored, but help me to get something from this. You know, if a person, you're talking to somebody, and I'm talking to Mickey over here. Mickey, I tell you, it's good to talk to you. I'm glad to talk to you. You say, well, something's wrong with him. Or if a preacher goes like this, I want to preach to you today. I want to tell you all about Jesus. You say, well, what's wrong with him? Eye contact is so very important when you sing, when you preach, when you hear. When you're talking to somebody, when your eyes are down, it looks like something's wrong with you. It looks like you're trying to avoid the truth. You ever met somebody who could not look at you eyeball to eyeball? There's something wrong there. So let me encourage you to do that. When Jesus comes in, there's a new joy that takes place in your life. Look at verse 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. You will experience the mercy of God in your life. You'll realize how much God has done for you. Everyone in this room, think for a moment the most disastrous thing you ever did. Maybe it was a wrong decision, a wrong action, a wrong word, the awfulest thing you ever did. And then you ask God to forgive. And if you hurt somebody's feelings with it, you ask them to forgive you. There's joy in experiencing mercy. The mercy of God, the mercy of other people. God will bless you in that. Thirdly, look in verse three. Thou hast taken away thy wrath. Thou hast turned thy fierceness, thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. We're aware that God is not mad at us. God doesn't hold us against us. And you go to the, say, Lord, I want to confess this. This thing bothers me. The devil casts it in my teeth all the time, this awful sin I committed. And God says, what are you talking about? Well, Lord, that sin that I committed, I've forgotten all about it. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
You must not allow the devil to cast your past into your teeth. They're all under the, under the blood. And when you have revival, that's an experience of joy. A thug can get saved and have revival. A thief can get saved and have revival. I talked to a man in Walla Walla prison over in Washington many years ago. He was in death row. He was gonna be executed. I don't know whether he's supposed to do this or not, but he told me about his murder. With tears in his eyes, he said, I've regretted that a thousand times. I know I'm gonna die for it, but Jesus came in my heart. He forgave me and saved me. And even though I'm facing the executioner death, there's a joy inside, and he smiled. He said, you could tell people that Christ can forgive and cleanse and change. When you give your life to Jesus, he takes away all those past things. And though your sins be ugly, filthy, God will forgive. Look at verse eight. I will hear again, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. So what he's saying is, when you get saved and there's real revival, you can't say, well, I've reached the end zone. Boy, I'm okay. No, the end zone doesn't come until you get to heaven. In playing football, I, I like football. Never was good at it, but I like it. I like to watch football. And when they come down there and they've got six points, and the guy's standing there ready to kick the ball over the goal line, <clears throat> that's exciting. But that counting point doesn't happen until the ball gets over the goal line. So with our lives. We don't get accomplished till we go over there, till we get to heaven. And then what joy, what peace, and that's reason in heaven they're singing, and they're saints, and they're revival. There's a spirit of revival all the time over in heaven. If you could just look beyond the veil and sort of visualize what's going on over in heaven, you wouldn't be sad when somebody dies. I know the departure's hard and it hurts here, but somebody's been suffering and think of the guy that got killed the other day. John is John Cole's cousin over in Hopkinsville got run over by a car. He was riding his bicycle. Seven years old? Ten years old. Something like that. Well, if that old boy knew the Lord. And some 10-year-old boys get to know the Lord. Some do not. But over there, what a joy there's going to be. I met at the hospital one night with a family who had just lost their little boy. They thought he died. They were praying he'd come back to life. Well, the little boy lived. He lived about five years. They lived out on Morgantown Road. Those five years were terrible for mother and daddy. The little boy was a vegetable. They had to wait on him hand and foot. They loved him, but at the end of five years, that mother and daddy divorced. Sometimes death is better than life. Sometimes. Because over there, there's no suffering. 
there's no hurt. You have a loved one who's gone beyond the veil. If they're saved, thank God they're with the Lord. And you've heard somebody say, well, they're better off than we are. They already are. That's a hard thing to say to a mother who has lost her son or a son who has lost his mother. That's hard. But indeed, they are better off. And over there in the glory, there's joy, unspeakable, full of glory. But he says, don't return to your folly. If you've been saved and revived and God lives in your heart, why go after the beggarly elements of life? Why go back? Back to the old world, I will not go. Back to the old world, I will not go. Then last of all, look at verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and truth and peace. There's peace and joy and fullness when Jesus lives in your heart. What a wonderful experience to know the Lord. I've told you this story before, but I'd like to tell it again. A man committed a terrible crime. He hurt his mother and daddy. He disgraced his family. He went to prison. He was in prison for 10 years. Time came for him to get out. He was ashamed to go home and see his family, but he really wanted to. So his mother said, Mother, if you can forgive me, I'm coming home on a train. If you can forgive me, will you tie a yellow bow, a yellow ribbon on the tree? The train passes by your house. Put a yellow ribbon on that tree. And I know you forgive me. If there's no ribbon, I won't get off. I won't bother you. I'll go on. They got near the house. The boy didn't have the courage to look. He said to the man sitting next to him, would you look on the tree as we pass this house in just a little while and tell me what you see. If it's okay, you just tell me. And they passed that house and that tree was lighted up with all kinds of yellow ribbons. And the man punched the boy, said, son, try to look. He looked and saw all those yellow ribbons. He knew he'd been forgiven. He got off the next station, went back, was reunited with his parents. That's forgiveness. That's what God has done. He's put yellow ribbons in the tree and you're forgiven. And there's joy, fullness of joy. And when we experience revival, that's what happens. That's what will happen at Glendale. When we experience real revival, we're praying for a spirit of revival in our church. And we need it. Somebody said the other day, the spirit is dead at Glendale. Well, I don't believe that. The spirit's not dead. Depends on who you talk to. You talk to some people and say, oh, it's just dead, dead around here. Talk to other people, it's wonderful. I love Jesus. I love the Lord. So you see, when God is living in your life, there's joy, wonderful joy, fullness of joy, and you can go share it with other people. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of God. We thank you that there can be a spirit of revival in our hearts. And we can experience the real forgiveness of God and go in the power of that forgiveness and know that God loves 
He can love through us the most unlovely of all people. Have thy way in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Just before we sing, we're gonna sing page what? Uh, 468. 468, without him I could do nothing, but listen to this a minute. Jesus was God hanging on an old rugged cross. They drove those nails in his hands, crown of thorns on his brow. God so loved the world. He loved you so much, he paid the price for your sin, your forgiveness. If you let Christ come into your heart, you'll experience his forgiveness. And if you want spirit of revival in your heart, you ask God for it, he'll give it to you. Ask and you shall receive. While we sing, somebody may want to come to the altar and pray. Somebody may want to come and say, I want to be part of this fellowship. Or I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. Do what God says while we sing.